in three, two, one. Hello and welcome everyone to the No Outlet Podcast. And folks, here we go. As you all know, I love, love, love music in all forms. And while I always have been a fan, a huge fan of listening to music, enjoying music, I have failed miserably numerous times at learning how to actually play music. And I'm not talking just, you know, a semester in college. No, no, no. I've tried the flute, the trumpet, guitar, drums, piano, harmonica, guitar again. And never once did I pick up any of them. But my love for music never stopped. You get the picture. I'm more of a listener than a player. So I always have uh, had a huge amount of respect for folks that can actually play uh, and write music. I mean, it's such a such an amazing skill. Without those people, the people like me, they can only enjoy it would be shit out of luck. Um, and in addition to that, I, I love the local music scene. I love people that get together and find a commonality and go out and, uh, and play uh, to people that want to hear good music. And our guest tonight has both of those boxes checked. Uh, he's been part of the Seacoast music scene for a very long time. He's been um, in- involved and is still involved in bands such as uh, Dreadnought, Power Money Cake, The Wheel of Awesome, and many, many others. And he's an all-around cool guy. So we're going to talk about that and so much more. So without any further delay, please give a warm, no-outlet welcome to Rick Habib. Hey, Rick, how are you? I'm doing great, Ethan. Thanks for that introduction, man. Oh, absolutely. You should see the crowd here. They are on their feet. They're so excited. Uh, we are going to play a game called 20 Questions, and it always starts the exact same place, and that's question number one. So question number one, what was the first piece of music that you remember actually paying for? Not something that was gifted to you, but something that you earned money and then you went out and said, I want to get this piece of music here. Do you remember what that was? I I most certainly do. Uh, It was Back in Black by ACDC. Nice. Nice. (laughs) Yeah, I was about 10 and uh, it was, um, I feel like every uh, grade in in the world has like the um, sort of the the, the bad or sort of edgy kid who like stayed back um, in the grade. And, and that was my buddy, uh, was a fellow named Deke Murphy. And yep. uh, he had all the coolest music. And I remember he had a little um, cassette player that he would have on him, like not even a Walkman, like this was like pre Walkman shit. Oh, um, yeah. And, and he popped the cassette in and um, honestly it was, it was like my black and white world became Technicolor. I just, I was hooked for life, it seems. It's so funny. I'm, I'm laughing because as you're saying the story, I'm thinking of my own friend that stayed back, maybe was the guy that, you know, uh, had me smoke cigarettes with him first, maybe was the guy that introduced me to Ozzy Osbourne <laughs> and ACDC and all those bands that, you know, uh, did the exact same thing. And I remember the tape player um, that you're talking about. There was no Walkman, but there was this little, I think it might have been the one that he had was like a Texas Instruments or something like that. And I still own cassettes today, and one of them is ACDC Back in Black. So uh, I actually miss the 
the process of going to a record store to buy music like that was part of the part of the religion of music was like making the trek and finding it like because sometimes it wasn't there and you couldn't get it yeah it's so different now man and and i think um i I don't know that it's better or worse it's it's different and i think uh certainly for folks of a certain age um and i include myself in this it, it takes some getting used to relearning to find music and and to your point in the old days um in some ways it was just simpler you know you 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 sort of got it through word of mouth maybe had a favorite record store that you would go to and some folks who worked there who you trusted who knew your taste um and and there was a, a process that happened now i think if there's a difficulty um it's like you know the entire seeming history of recorded music is Mm. like two clicks away where do i start what do i do um you know so it's yeah it's it's changed i um i find myself i don't own a turntable but um i i've recently been gifted a number of records um from some dear friends Mm -hmm. kind of almost pushing me like hey you should go buy a turntable you're a guy who needs to own a turntable And and i get it because i think it would push me back towards that process of going out and right. um and going to the record stores right now it's kind of like i will stream music and then i sort of have this internal clock in my head of like if i start streaming something enough i go to Bandcamp and i i buy a digital download and it's not even that i really need a digital download. just like hey i just want to support this band cause yeah shit I'm, I'm really getting into their stuff so i want to throw them some dough you know yeah absolutely that's the way to do it um, so obviously, I you know I've seen you play the drums, but I'm sure you play other instruments. What else do you play besides the drums? Well, you know, I, I don't play a ton of other stuff. Um, I, I, there's nothing else I play that anyone would like pay me to play. Okay, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Uh, you know, I can um, I can bonk around a bit on a piano. I actually played piano when I was a kid. Um, I I wish I wish that. You know, if I could go back, I wish that um, music education when I was younger was different um, because I, I I do love piano now. Back then, um, you know, uh, maybe as you thought about ACDC Back in Black, uh, you might remember there is no piano on Back in Black. <laughs> and uh, so, like, for me, it became immediately uncool. There was no one to draw that connection. All I needed was a teacher to like put on some Chuck Berry and talk about Johnny Johnson and be like, Hey, you know what you could do? You could, you could play these chords right along these recordings. Um, But instead it was a lot of Burleys and, you know, sort of the the lighter classical stuff that they started John back then. And so I, I didn't, I wasn't able to connect to connect that to what I listened to. I can, you know, I can sort of, play around on a piano a little bit. Same with like, um, now on percussion, things like, um, xylophone, uh, vibraphone to a lesser extent and marimba and those kind of things. Sure. Um, you know, um, all things percussive, certainly and a lot of hand percussion that, uh, I, I don't use as much out on gigs, but certainly play, um, you know, kind of at, at home or sometimes in recording studios, uh, right. that kind of thing. So, you know, it's mostly percussion plus a little bit of piano. Gotcha. Yeah, and, you know, my buddy, uh, Eric Klinger, who who 
is a uh, guitarist and a drummer. When you know he was telling me all about the different drums he has and his kits and his symbols, and I was amazed at how many different you know types of drums there are, how many different brands there are. Do you have a brand that you kind of swear by, or is it just like some Tom Toms sound good with this brand, and and then this bass drum is maybe better with this brand, or are you kind of like a kit guy with one brand? Not a kit guy with one brand, although I will say um, I have a set of Ludwigs that I chiefly use. And yep. I think they're just amazing drums. And, you know, you can look back, um, you know, many years, see tons of, you know, big, big world famous drummers uh, who, who play Ludwigs. And I, I kind of can see why. Um, but I, I'm not definitely not. You know, 100% loyal. I actually have a great uh, Yamaha kit I got at uh, the Fantastic. Actually, both the kits I got at um, uh, Drum Center of Portsmouth, which mm-hmm. is just a wonderful uh, resource for, for any drummers, uh, both in the Seacoast and really probably in New England. Yeah. Are, you know, so much stuff there. Um, so much great, uh, so much great drumming. Um, inventory sure um but you know yamaha are great drums uh i've i've had the privilege of playing a couple great uh wretch kits there's a another fellow um who makes his home uh probably in the sequence region plays a lot up here um is doing some touring with a woman named um named mike walsh Uh, mike has this beautiful uh, brooklyn wretch kit that uh i've been playing on a recording that was really awesome. I kind of filed it away, like, hmm, if I ever want to get into Gretsch, that might be something I would look at. Um, but, you know, it, there, there's so many great brands, and I feel like they all have a different thing that they're good at, you right. know? So I, I, I'm, I'm not not a guy who's, like, only this or that. But if uh, someone comes out and sees me play, I would say 80% of the time uh, they'd see me as a kid. Yeah. No, gotcha. Yeah, I mean, that's Erica was telling me that when he was younger and he bought his first kit, he bought a Ludwig. But I think the reason was, I, I think Keith Moon used a Ludwig, and, and I might have that wrong, but there was a drummer he was really into at the time, had it. It was in, like, Modern Drummer magazine. He was like, well, that's got to be the kit that I'm, I'm going to get. And I don't think he's ever come off of it. Um, so everyone's got uh, their own reasons for, for uh, picking their instrument of choice. So let's talk about the majesty of... Steely Dan. Uh, I feel like Steely nah. Dan might be one of the most underappreciated and underrated bands um, of all time. And and one of your many uh, side projects, if you want to call it that, is something called Power Money Cake, which uh, for those of you who have not heard about it, you got to check them out. They play tribute to Steely Dan uh, and they do an amazing job. It's not an easy band to replicate live. I mean, they were primarily a studio band, and they didn't really tour that much um, uh, for most of their career, and it was because it was tough to recreate the sound that was on the album live. But you guys do a really good job. Um, Tell me how that came about. Yeah. Um, You know, uh, I I agree with your assessment of Steely Dan, but uh, interestingly, there's there's many folks who don't agree with you and I even. Um, I think actually one of the things that uh, really drew me to Steely Dan uh, in a way is is how divisive they are. Right, right. (laughs) But there's people who like, it's it's almost, um, 
you know, what's the, there's a, it's a different band, Grateful Dead of a quote, right? It's like, uh, you know, we're like licorice. Either you love licorice or you just think licorice is fucking gross. Uh, I think Steely Dan is sort of like that too, right? You either just are so in or you're just like, that is just crap. Um, and, and I, in a way, I guess I'm, I'm sort of drawn to that. I think that whenever I hear of something that's sort of so like you're either on or off, I kind of, my instinct is that there's probably something there. Um, I, for years, didn't like Steely Dan. They just didn't fit, um, you know, as a younger person, kind of going back to the the back and black thing, right? Like from from that music, I kind of delved backwards into, you know, the huge volume of kind of classic rock that was, um, you know, it was sort of like, what at the time they called hair metal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they didn't really call it hair metal actually back then. It was just metal, right? right. In the 80s, but now seeing as hair metal is like that to Led Zeppelin to then really like just very, you know, sort of muscular, pentatonic, blues based rock that, um, you know, again, like just sort of continued through my adolescence. That was really the focal point for me. And so Steely Dan was like, not that at all. Right. So right. I, I, I was, I was with the haters for a while, sure. uh, but, um, you know, it was actually touring, um, with Dreadnought. I remember this very clearly that, um, we stayed with a friend of the band a fellow by the name of Gibson Lawrence and, uh, Gibson, Late uh, after the show at his uh, New York City apartment, put on Katie Lied. And um, I don't know why it hit me then, but it was like I was hearing it with very fresh ears. And um, the tracks just sounded so cool. And maybe, you know, it could have been the fact that playing with um, guys like Bob Lord and Justin Walton, who I think collectively we were all getting into um, music that was had kind of different harmonic um, sensibilities than just sort of straight blues rock, right? Maybe, you know, getting loosened up with that stuff was, was what kind of made the difference. I ended up, um, you know, with the Steely Dan stuff. Maybe I was prepped for it better by then. But right. I just remember falling like head over heels. Like suddenly I was there, I got all the albums. And, um, you know, Dreadnought would cover some Steely Dan, but the, the origin of that band, funny enough, myself, um, Chris Sink, Bob Lord, and um, another guitar player, a fellow by the name of Eric Reardon, got together really just to do some covers, just put the band together, kind of like, yeah, let's just, you know, put together a list of some covers we like and go play some gigs. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I might have been the guy who drafted the first set list, and I, I put on um, a nice helping of Steely Dan, but it was definitely, you know, maybe a quarter of the set list. And uh, gradually, gig by gig, uh, Chris would keep crossing off non-Steely Dan tunes and and adding (laughs) Steely Dan tunes. Um, And then eventually, Chris was kind of like, hey, you know, um, I actually know this other guitar player who would like come in and just play this stuff like note for note, like really, you know, he's really into it and would really, you know, invest in, in making this stuff um, as, as good and, and as faithful to the recordings as, as can be. And, you know, it's like, Chris, do you just 
you just want to be a steely Dan band? Is that what you, is that what we're talking about? And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's what I want. Have you not freaking understood? Like Jesus Christ, all I'm doing is just adding band stuff and removing this shit. So we just went kind of whole hog and uh, made it about that. And, um, you know, it's a blast. I mean, we, um, we all love the tunes. You have to love it. As you pointed out, Ethan, it's not, um, it's not, often um it's it's there's some work to it so like you know you don't see a lot of people trot out a bunch of steely dan tunes because there's some fairly complicated chords in there and they're usually you know uh, keeping helping of them they're not typically one or two chord tunes um and so you gotta love it to invest in it but we do and uh the good news is you know like the licorice analogy um people turn out and the people who turn out love it they so, really um, like that, that licorice they really like oh it. yeah exactly uh to the point where it's sometimes intimidating we've definitely played gigs where i've ended a, a set and and you can see someone getting up and approach you and you're sort of like oh, oh shit oh <laughs> yeah right? and, 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 and it's, it's it's always some dude right the the the, the, the women <laughs> in the audience are always they're always awesome you know it's just like hey yeah. great job you know love right. the tunes right the, it's the freaking guys and they're just like you know, uh, you know, that uh, third um, chorus, you know, I, I feel like you guys maybe didn't, I don't know, you hit the rhythm differently. It's like, yeah, you know, man, we fucked up. I don't know what to tell you. But, uh, Good Lord. We'll get him next time, you know. Buddy, <laughs> yeah, grab, yeah, a, but, grab a beer. Yeah, but, you know, it's, hey, the dedication, we appreciate it. If you're coming out to the show, fine. You, you get to, uh, you know, you get to critique a little, I guess. I don't know. There you go. <laughs> so where's the yeah. best place in the Seacoast area to get a cup of coffee? Mm. Um, geez, man, that's a great question. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of good ones. Um, Horseshoe Cafe in Newmarket, yes. when I'm in uh, Newmarket, I will uh, hit up quite a bit, but also Crack Skulls, uh, yeah. I am partial to, I just like the vibe there. Um, in Dover, you know, it's kind of a combo. I kind of uh, rotate back and forth between uh, Flight and Cafe uh, Killam. Mm-hmm. Um, Portsmouth will also hit Killam, but also, um, geez, I'm going to butcher the name. What's the, um, is it Vontelin? The, um It's like a, you know. That's German. as good as I can do, right next to the press room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I I enjoy that coffee too. Um, I, I'm sure I'm leaving out some places. Um, I, God, I'm not sure I could I could declare one though. No, but that's good. And I I, I think we just had a, a free marketing piece of advice. If you're coming up with a, a a store name, try to make it something that people can actually say. That would help. Um, <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about Dreadnought. Dreadnought. So I saw Dreadnought a million years ago, what it seems like a million years ago. Um, so I went, but, but it's been a while. So I went back and I listened to a, a lot of your catalog. And I remembered like how unique it is. Like it doesn't really sound like anything else. And there's so many different elements of so many different types of music. I heard elements of Primus, Queens of the Stone Age, Gang of Four, Ecstasy, Fish. There was a little bit of Devo in there. I mean, it was really amazing. And I, I found myself all day at work listening to almost all the albums. I was just like, wow, these guys are fucking really good and so diverse. It reminded me a little bit of like, you know, Ween. Ween would come out with an album and it would be like a country album. It would sound like a country album. And then they put another album out and it would be a rock album. And it was like, they each, it seems like 
every album had its its own little theme uh, within itself, but they all had like a a strand of DNA that was similar. So I'm a I'm a new born again dreadnought fan. First of all, did I come anywhere close to a good description? And talk to me about how Dreadnought came about and what's next. Uh, yeah, you, you you really hit it on the head, Ethan. You clearly have uh, great ears, man, and and named uh, a bunch of stuff that has certainly informed uh, Dreadnought. You know, um, interestingly, Dreadnought came about. Geez, man, we formed up in 1996. Yeah. Um, but as kind of a different ensemble, um, the band at that time included um, Ed Jurdy, who actually, um, Ed is now uh, risen to fame through uh, his group, The Band of Heathens, mm. uh, based out of Austin, Texas. Um, and uh, Ed's uh, childhood buddy, Bob Lord, on bass. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also another guitar player and singer named, uh, Ethan Bessie. Mm-hmm. And then, um, actually not one, but two, uh, percussionists, uh, joining me on the drums, uh, but playing hand percussion, uh, Nick Trippy and Ryan Thomas and wow. so the six of us played. And it was a little bit more of a root thing, um, a little bit. Maybe not full jam band, but uh, certainly some some elements of that, you know, would stretch out. Um, And then basically what happened, um, Ed kind of moved on to his own thing. I think he wanted to get into um, really more roots, more Americana kind of stuff. Um, Ed, myself, Bobby and Nick stayed together as a four piece for a bit. And then what happened was um, Ed had a um, sorry, Bob had a, a buddy. Um, Dave Marcoulier, who was uh, a musician around these parts, and, and Dave mentioned that he had a roommate, name was Justin Walton, uh, and Justin was looking for a bassist and drummer to help him with some gigs he had with his band called Actual Signs. Uh, and Bob and I signed up for that. Bob and I were playing with Dave in kind of a sort of free kind of noise um, ensemble. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Justin, I don't know if Justin had seen that or if he just knew about it, but basically Justin had some gigs on the books for actual size, but the band was sort of um, losing some members. And so Bob and I kind of filled in on that for a little while. We were playing with actual size, Bob and I, but then we asked Justin to also play some Dreadnought gigs. Mm. And so there was sort of this weird amorphous thing. We were like playing actual size gigs as a trio and then doing these quintet gigs as Dreadnought. And kind of what happened was over time, um, more and more of the material that was being developed was this kind of angular, um, more owing to progressive rock stuff than root stuff. So mm-hmm. um, kind of old school progressive rock thinking like, Yes, and like Gentle Giant, um, right. Genesis, early Genesis with like Peter Gabriel, that yep. kind of stuff. Um, and I think, you know, for me, Bob and Justin, we were just sort of like, you know, uh, couldn't get enough of that. I think Ethan and Nick, you know, liked it to an extent, but also were like, yeah, it's not really our thing. So then Dreadnought reverted to being a trio of Bob, Justin, and I, and we kind of took off with that. 
And, um, yeah, man. And, and that's, that's been it really. It's been like that since probably, I want to say late 1999, uh, or so. And, um, yeah. And, and, you know, it's funny, man, your, your, um, you know, your ween comment is definitely dead on there in the sense that, um, you know, with the progressive rock thing, we, we certainly embrace a lot of those elements. I would say the one that we don't necessarily embrace too, too much is um, some of the progressive rock stuff maybe lyrically can kind of really take itself seriously um, in a way that is not very dreadnought. Um, but Ween is a band <laughs> that, uh, you know, I think from sort of a lyrical and almost overall ethos, um, certainly has our hearts, you know, if you listen to like our, um, some of our newer releases, certainly it's there on, um, hard charging, um, yep. from 2018. I mean, there's some stuff it's, it, you know, it's straight up. It's, it's designed to be funny. It That's truly right. is like, it's, it's a little bit of like, Hey, you know, it's going to be weird on this instrumental side, but we're hoping that people can also see for what it is that like, Hey, we're not, um, we're not totally like, you know, pushing, pushing up our glasses, uh, sure. you know, with our finger and, and adjusting our pocket protectors, um, completely, you know, there's, there's a little bit of levity there. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. All right. So this is going to make you think a little bit, so I apologize up front, but I'm going to give you a list of a couple of things and I want you to pick the one that's most likely to be proven true in our lifetime. Okay. So, uh, one is time travel. Uh, one is simulation theory. Uh, one is communication, uh, with the dead. And the last one is interdimensional beings living among us. Now, one of those things we learn is a hundred percent factual, true. Which one is it? Can you, before I answer simulation theory, explain yes, that to me. Uh, I think yes. I know what it is, but I want to make sure. I'll do my best. So simulation theory is the idea that because time is infinite and because we are really good at creating bigger and better video games that eventually, of course, someone's going to figure out a way to make uh, existence itself a simulation and that we are indeed right now living in a simulated reality. Hope I hope not. that's my that yeah. that that's that's my bet right okay. there. Okay, I like it. I like yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Very good. Um, I'm I'm not going to argue it. I'm just going to. I I think you probably given all the other choices. I think that's probably the right answer. Um, what was the first musical concert that you remember going to? <laughs> well, uh, it may be no surprise, but uh, my first concert, my second concert. Uh-oh. And my third concert, all were ACDC. No way. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, I think, uh, you know, I was, my cousin and I were, um, we, I think we were 11. And um, we got our moms to drive us down to the Worcester Centrum. I remember we insisted they drop us off like yeah. a block away, you know, like, like as though, as though we got there ourselves, you know, like, like uh, anyone would be like, Oh yeah, look at these kids. They clearly came in on their motorcycles or some shit, you know, like, no, uh, you know, and so we, we, yeah, we walked in and, um, 
I, you know, I, yeah, it was, it was wild, you know, I mean, first experience, I, I'm not sure I recall this correctly, but I want to say they opened the concert with like hell's bells, you know, so it was just like the tolling of that bell and, uh, you know, our jaws were just open, like, yeah. oh my God. And, you know, all of a sudden the place smelt a little funny. We we're yeah. like, oh, what's that? It smells like Uncle Tim, you know, <laughs> what's up with that? Uh, I think at one point some woman ripped her shirt off and it became yeah. the best night ever, you know, it's just you like, go. oh God, all right. We're hooked. Yeah. So yeah, we just kept going back. Those were the first, uh, first group of concerts I ever went to. I love it. The Worcester Centrum. So I remember I was a little bit probably older than you when you went to that, but I, we did the same thing where uh, my mom dropped four of us off. It was, uh, believe it or not, the Beastie Boys and Public Enemy opened up for that. And, um, and we, we insisted on getting dropped off. And I got to tell you, it was a terrible idea because we weren't exactly like we stuck out like sore thumbs, you know, four kids from Portsmouth, New Hampshire, uh, walking to the Centrum to go see Public Enemy. Um, we definitely <laughs> were not in the majority, but we had a great time, and um, I-, I love live music. There's nothing better. Is there a place that you kind of, like, really, not necessarily the biggest or baddest place, but, like, a place that you play live and you just feel like, okay, I feel like this is home. Like, I feel like I, it sounds good in here, the acoustics are good. The crowd's always good. The staff is good. Is there like a, a home base for you that you really appreciate? Well, you know, yeah, there's a few. I mean, you know, one of the great things about um, Seacoast, New Hampshire area is there are a lot of great places to play, even even still. You know, I, I think um, during the pandemic, I, I know I, I had kind of a personal fear of, of wondering if, if these places would be able to survive and, you know, what would we emerge um, post shutdown back into? Would there yeah. be any place to, to see live music or play live music or whatever? And, um, you know, it's been, it's been great to um, see so many places, not just returning, but I think really, uh, you know, having a little bit of a, a renaissance as far as I think collectively people realizing like, Hey, you know, this is a gift. It's, it's a great thing to be able to go out and, um, and, and see people perform music right in front of you, you know? And, um, and, and, you know, so I mean, like for myself, um, you know, I kind of grew up at the stone church, um, for a long time in the nineties, I lived, you know, maybe two blocks away. Um, there was a period where I think dreadnought, you know, kind of was like on call. It was like, an opener was needed. We would get a call from Paul LeBron and he'd be like, Hey, you guys open free tonight? We'd say, Yep, and great, bring your shit. You know, you're opening for so and so. And so we would just, we would do that. I felt like we were playing up um, cool. at the church probably every two or three weeks. And um, and I'm privileged to, to still get to play there and still be a part of, um, of making it a fun, um, fun scene with different projects to play with. So um, nice. I never take that for granted. Um, press room, you know, kind of the same thing. I mean, it's um, maybe a little later in my development, but I remember, um, I remember Bob. Um, yeah. This was back in the days where Bruce uh, Pingree um, yeah. booked it, you know, and, and, and Bruce had a great, you know, kind of thing, you know, it was really like, 
he wanted to test you, you know, it was sort of like, I think how, you know, are you legit? And, and do you know how to sort of like, do you know how to get your club to pay attention to you? Mm. Right. Um, you know, Bruce, it was like, there was some message, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it right. But it was like, you know, yeah, this is Bruce. Uh, if you're looking to book a show at the press room, you know, give me a call between like one and one fifteen on Thursday afternoons, uh, third Thursday of every month or, or something, you know, it's very like, it was this tight window of like, okay, I got to hit it. I remember Bob wrote like a, a really great, um, you know, sort of like promo, um, you know, it's like, you know, an early like press kit for us. Bob's a, a, a good writer. Yeah. And um, I think he, he referred to himself as the Seacoast's most dangerous bass player. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> It's so awesome, man. I mean, who could dispute that, right? You know, right. and so, so I think uh, I remember Bruce gave us a gig, and I want to say when we walked in, he just gave Bob the stink eye, and he's just like, Nico's most dangerous bass player, huh? <laughs> you know, it just had that like, that okay, kids, give me, I'll give you a freaking shot, you know, and and you know, to um, you know, to 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 much, you know, much to our delight, um, you know, Bruce did have us back regularly and again, provided us a place to grow and, and play, you know, Bruce and Paul, I, I would say are two people who like, um, if they didn't exist, I wouldn't exist. Musically wow. speaking, That's you know what cool. I mean? These are guys who, um, who went out of their way to, uh, be helpful to kind of show, um, show me the ropes, show, uh, you know, Dreadnought at that time, the ropes and kind of, this is what you do. No, you don't do that. No, do it like this, you know, yep. just so you help yourself. And, and, um, you know, just, just guys who, um, yeah, just owe a lot to really. Fostering development. I love that. So we are down to our last two questions. Uh, this one I think is going to be an easy one. What TV show makes you laugh the most? Mm, boy. Um, you know, um, I'm not sure I could say all time, but, uh, lately I have been watching, um, the show Big Mouth a lot. Okay. That's a cartoon, right? Yeah, it is a cartoon and and it's kind of funny because they, they sort of use the, the animated aspect to do things that, um, you just straight up wouldn't be able to do with, um, real human actors and and that that kind of makes me laugh in and of itself um i think nick kroll's just funny he's got a lot of different um comedy outlets and and most of them make me laugh but uh big mouth's been um in the rotation for quite a bit now love it all right uh you are also part of one of the most fun bands that i've ever seen um and that's called the wheel of awesome uh it's almost like a super group of sorts um and and the wheel of awesome has this cool thing where they they spin the wheel. They play a certain type of song or genre, um, and it, it huge crowd influence. They they everyone loves it. It's like a live jukebox. It's amazing. But then, if you're really lucky and you find them on the right night, uh, they'll also do live karaoke. And my question for you is, what are your thoughts on the decades long effort to make karaoke an Olympic event? <laughs> I fully endorse it, man. That would be uh, absolutely fantastic. The, the karaoke thing's been a lot of fun. Um, you know, doing that at the Stone Church, it's like the second Thursday of every month. We actually have the championships coming up on, uh, I think it's 
April 13th. Um, so, so not Thursday, a couple days from now, but, um, April 13th and, right. um, we've been doing it for four months and, uh, and it's been a blast, you know, it's kind of in that same way of, um, it feels like a nice, fun community building, um, kind of thing, you know, sure. Getting people in, getting them involved and, um, and, and having a good time. I mean, um, you know, we've, we've had really been surprised at how many folks, um, come up and just kick ass, you know, right. like, you know, again, it's, it's actually, it's, it's like a, a much cooler version of the, uh, the random Steely Dan audience dude I mentioned. This is more like, you know, we're, we'll be setting, we'll be setting up and, and yeah. someone comes up and they're like, Hey, you know, I'm thinking about doing this tune. How do you guys do the chorus? Are we doing the live version? And, and like, Right away, you're like, "Oh, this is going to be good." Like they're 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 into it, you know. They're, yeah. they've actually like thought about it, you know. It's like we're, we're it's a lot of fun to do, you know. And um, and I think the cool thing is you get a fair amount of people up there who maybe have never played with a band before, right? And when you fire that up, you can sort of see on on a decent amount of people's faces the sort of like um. I don't know. I would, maybe it's like, you know, when you get into a car for the first time and you turn the ignition on, you hit the gas. It's sort of like, Ooh, yeah, cool. You know? Um, so that's, that stuff's been a lot of fun for sure. That's awesome. All right. So, uh, where can people find you? Where can they go to get, uh, dates you're going to be playing out? Is there a website, social media? How can people find out more about everything you're doing? Well, um, you know, social media, I just run a couple accounts under my own name. Um, okay. I think it's just Rick Habib on Instagram and maybe Richard Habib on Facebook. But uh, anything that I'm involved in, um, I'm always uh, posting about. Um, yeah, there's, there's, there's just so much uh, great stuff happening, man. I mean, um, yeah, I kind of do like in upcoming gigs. Usually I'll just put up a story that, that kind of has whomever I'm playing with, you know, whether it's wheel of awesome, um, you know, power money cake, uh, dreadnought, and it just really just, just a bunch of stuff. You know, I got uh, gigs coming up, um, with, um, John Nolan of, uh, sure. Zoo. John is a great, uh, solo project that we're cooking up. We get a gig at the word barn on the 15th. Love the um, word barn. Yeah. 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 Great venue. Um, North village, another project I'm with, um, with, uh, Marty England. Um, that's, uh, actually at the press room Friday, April 7th. And, uh, we've been doing some recording over at thundering sky studios, the great Chris Magruder. And, uh, that's been a blast. It's really fun when you get to go in the studio and dig into some recording and then sort of unleash yourself, uh, live. Right. You really, you know, you feel like you're kind of, letting it all hang out. And, um, that's what, uh, that's what Friday, April 7th will be like. Uh, we're playing a bill with, um, another great, um, uh, indie rock band from the area called showman's rest. Mm. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that'll be a good time for sure. And, um, yeah, man, there's, there's just so much going on, but, uh, yeah, really just my own uh, page is Richard Habib or Rick Habib, um, usually through like Instagram and Facebook, just try to pump it out on, on those. That's perfect guys. I highly recommend it. Go check it out. If you can see the crowd here, they've all got ACDC flags are doing the way for you. Uh, <laughs> it, it was great yeah. to have you on. I really appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to speak with us. And until the next time I see you play live, I hope you have a great night. Thanks Ethan. Thanks for having me. Man. See you.